Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Episode Monday night at 11, only on HBO. Part of the 11th hour, HBO Summer Prime Time. What used to make this city great was that it was run by bad men. Who understood that they were bad. You walk in there and you think, oh, the new guy's stupid enough to eat your bullshit. What are you, some kind of asshole? I think there's been a misunderstanding between you and I. No, it's no misunderstanding at all. I think we both recognize one another for exactly who we are. What do you want? Long term, for you. I want to rip out the fucked up machinery in this bullshit city. I want to tear it all down. For good. If you put yourself on the line, this job is not going to be easy. Guys like me, we need guys like you. I like what my job should be. That's not the way things are. You're acting like this is not a big deal. This shit that you pulled, it don't just affect you anymore. Do one. One. Take the money. Get straight. Uh-huh. Father, I've been forgiven my husband for 20 years and nothing changes. I treat everyone the same. Bad. You can't get caught. They catch you. The bad do understand.
Okay, welcome, welcome. Mike Hartshorn and I are going to get into Tom Fontana's Oz. That's right. The show that really made HBO <laughs> be what it is today. <laughs> right, right. Hell, I'd even argue TV in general. It really is. So the show is set in the same universe as Homicide Life in the Street, St. Elsewhere, and City on a Hill. Since Homicide did a bunch of crossovers, that technically also means it's in the same universe as other gritty shows like Law and Order and, and Chicago Hope. So, <laughs> <laughs> which Chicago Hope is technically also in the same universe as St. Elsewhere. Just can't escape it. So, right. This was conceived by Fontana after he had worked as one of the head writers on Elsewhere, and he just wanted another similar kind of show that was just kind of uh, just showing. After just having a lot of success with Homicide, which was always just poor poor in the ratings, but great in terms of the audience and uh, critical acclaim. So he just right. took a lot of those, that same kind of low-budget-looking style and launched a bunch of other writers and directors' careers from this. His partner in crime was Barry Levinson. That's right. You know, <laughs> acclaimed filmmaker behind, you know, The Natural, Diner, and... Good morning, Vietnam. And it's very interesting how this one just is kind of a template for all these actors we've come to know, as well as, like, we can say for certain, you know, obviously Sopranos is like 2.0, like the next step, but, like, you you can definitely say that other shows like Justified and Sons of Anarchy and um, especially the Power franchise definitely wouldn't exist now, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely not. This is like, yeah, there, there's just no way, no way, Jose, because uh, it, it incorporated a bunch of, you know, fantasy element, you know, the narrators talking to the camera and yeah. uh, uh, just uh, just even the it's not just any prison, you know, for, for the longest time, you know, if it, if it was a prison movie, you know, it had to be either kind of a noir kind of throwback, kind of like Shawshank Redemption, or it was... You know, just a bad, you know, exploitation B movie, you know, that you saw at a drive in or direct a video. And here, you know, it was changing up that even that whole subgenre is like, okay, this is an experimental prison that's, you know, nicknamed after, you know, the location in The Wizard of Oz, but, you know, it's men as irony. And <laughs> we got Augustus Hill, who's like the least, you know, biggest offender in this whole place. And he's having to narrate the whole shebang about what, what happens. <laughs> Right, right. And I think I read somewhere that originally um, Adewale, the guy who plays Adebisi, as well as uh, Seth, who played Clayton, they originally auditioned to be Augustus, if I'm not mistaken. I would not doubt it. I, I'm sure they had to. I'm, I'm sure everybody got tested for every role here. You know? <laughs> so, right, right. Oh, man. So we got Ernie Hudson of Ghostbusters fame as Warden Glenn. We got right. Terry Kenny, a well-known supporting actor you might know him as tom cruise's brother in the firm as mcmanus one of the on again off again psychiatrists harold perinow who was later in the matrix as hacker link is plays augustus and mm -hmm. eamon walker who many might know now as the fire chief on chicago fire plays saeed the muslim leader kirk acevedo who many might also know from fringe and band of brothers uh, among many other things, plays Miguel. 
and who can not love Rita Marino? <laughs> Absolutely. Side story and King and I here as the nun, and then we got J.K. Simmons, you know, years before the Closer and Spider-Man as uh, the white supremacist leader Vernon. Then we got Lee Turgeson, who this is honestly the first thing I ever saw him in. Since then, he's just been in a bunch of other stuff. I've seen him guest star in, as well as have recurring roles on Generation Kill and Longmire. And <laughs> his brother, uh, I forget his name, uh, also was a music supervisor on This and Homicide. So there you go. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know mm-hmm. Dean Winters, that's right. Mayhem in <laughs> those Allstate ads. <laughs> Right, or the Vulture in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There you go, yeah. And you might know him from Battle Creek, Rescue Me, Law and Order, Rescue You. him as, as Johnny on Rescue Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, another great show. Right? Altogether great actor. Um, Absolutely. He's kind of played a lot of the same kind of personas, and yet that's just really worked so well, <laughs> just yeah. for what he's been saddled with for the most part. He was also in the Hellraiser sequel, Hellseeker, which is, makes me wonder if that's how he got the Mayhem gig, because he <laughs> crashes his car at the beginning. He's also the tertiary villain in the first John Wick, and has also had some brief recurring gigs on Homicide and uh, uh, ter the Terminator show, and uh, you guys might also know him for playing Tina Fey's uh, boyfriend in 30 Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So that's one hell of a career. But yeah, he and his brother, uh, his name was um, <clears throat> none other than, what was his name? His, <laughs> Scott William. Yeah. 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 Play, so Dean and Scott play Ryan and Cyril O'Reilly. So <laughs> two of my favorite characters, personally. Absolutely. <laughs> and I just, Every time I rewatch the show, I appreciate their arc more and more. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Because um, uh, you really can't think of anyone else who could have even done a better job. Like, it, it helped that they were mostly unknown. And then it also helped that they could go there and so forth and yeah. make that big an impression. So then we got Adewale Abjabhi, I believe is how you pronounce his name. And you guys might know him from brief roles like Congo, The Mummy Returns, and The Firstborn Identity as the ambassador guy. He's always had plenty of other gigs, whether it's in the Thing prequel or some of the superhero movies, as well as G.I. Joe and Faster. So he's another one who's just, again, just been around forever and I just had a modeling and uh, was mostly appearing in some British shows, and he just, uh, he, he, somewhere along, he just came here to the States, and he was able to just kind of keep getting bigger roles, and um, it's interesting how, you know, with this role, he, you really didn't even know, you know, what, what his character even wants at first, because he's not even an established gang leader, he's basically just, you know, perverted and very uh just shameless he's like yeah we're here for life so you better get used to it i'll fuck you up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got bd wong from Fargo the bride and jurassic park and later svu fame as the 
Priest. We got Eddie Falco. That's right, Carmella from Sopranos as Diane. And then we got just a bunch of other just brief parts. We got Lauren Valles from Dexter, New York Undercover <clears throat> as uh, as Gloria. Yep. <laughs> and a bunch of other just just going through this all here on on HBO Max app is like you're seeing so many other people's like yeah <laughs> like if they're not from Homicide then they're just from other just established shows and part of the joke was you know they're gonna play against type you know right right I uh, like and even actors when they were first taken off is like you've never seen them in that role like that ever so since we got David Zayas as Enrique and he's like yeah you guys might know him as like uh the dictator second in command in Expendables but I mean, he never had a role ever like this ever again, even in some of the other gangster shows he was in. <laughs> God. I was the uh, first to just come on uh, that one show you just brought up, Dexter, you know, where he played uh, right. Batista. And, you know, he was like, you know, basically just this, like, saint of a guy on that show. And then you go and watch him on Oz, and it's just completely fucking different. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, even some of these other guys who you're like, I've seen him appear in blockbusters of many different types of quality, and I never would have ever thought they would have started here. <laughs> Otto Sanchez, yeah. you might have seen him in Terminator 5 and Bad Boys 2, but it's like, as well as the show Kidnapped and Burn Notice, but it's like, yeah, I mean, here... Uh, I, I never would have even suspected that was him if I wasn't a movie guy. Lance Reddick, you guys definitely know him from The Wire and Bosch and yeah. as the hotel, uh, uh, you know, administrator in the John Wick films. And it's like, yeah, but here is a, a narc undercover in prison gone dirty is like that was you, you've never seen him in a role like that ever since now. It's got to be an administrative positive role. Um, Talk about an actor. So much range like we got throw some appreciation his way i mean this guy can you give him a role and he's gonna nail it every time yeah like, yeah you, you could definitely tell that the producers were even just working overtime it's like i'm gonna see the play on broadway that's out there and see whoever is in that play i'm gonna give them a few roles on here like uh and the very final season i was very surprised to see that one actor there is one of the guys who's a key role in Hamilton. I forget who, but there's one of them was in there in here. Uh, Luke Perry, uh, rest yeah. in peace. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. And it's like, he's was already kind of a underappreciated actor who, you know, had had some legit, you know, more mainstream roles like fifth element. And everyone just kind of thought, Oh, he's always going to be that soap opera guy. Cause you know, he did, you know, Beverly Hills and then was later on Riverdale, but he just kind of, <laughs> You never heard anything bad about him. And so this role, I think, definitely gave him some more offers because, like, yeah, he's he had done all kinds of movies, but TV or festival savvy. But here he was, you know, playing a, a, you know, a jailed priest who basically is using his influence to basically root out all the other hypocrites. (laughs) Right. Watch the show. I expected to hate, you know, old Reverend Cloutier, but I actually grew to, like, sympathize with him and, you know, kind of like him. Like, yeah, what he did was sort of fucked up, but one, he did not belong in Oswald. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he could have gone to prison for sure, but not a place like that. You know, we on the Oz group, we talk about characters who didn't belong in a place like that. And Jeremiah mm-hmm. Cloutier never gets mentioned, but I think he should be because, yeah, he didn't belong in Oz. 
Yeah, and this show, kind of like Deadwood, was produced for Paramount, although it was through the division Reicher before it got bought by that CBS, you know, entertainment industry. But it's right. like, it's like I think that's kind of why they were limited to kind of promote it as much because i mean they just kind of were the distributor versus the production you know it was an in-house where they owned both rights but um what do you think i'm really surprised how some people have either seen it and either weren't sure how much of it they've seen or they've seen it from beginning to end and then that i was noticing some other crowds are like yeah i always meant to get into that i always heard it was awesome (laughs) so i guess it's good that you know all these shows are always finding an audience because they're discounted at the DVD Blu-ray stores or, and now that it's on the max app, it, it definitely, I think yeah. will get a little more attention. Um, I, uh, what do you think of the music video that was done? Like when it first came out <laughs> uh, behind the walls, which had Nate dog and corrupt from the dog pound doing a, <laughs> I have to be honest, I haven't seen that. But you can I've YouTube it, and it's, uh, it's like, yeah, it's like, if only that song was played more, I think that, that's a great jam. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the album was kind of whack, according to a lot of people, and I, I never bothered with it. I was like, yeah, it, it, it's not going to get any better than this. <laughs> but some of the ones who were featured on the album, that kind of made sense to me why they ended up being offered like a guest star roles, especially Master P. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, again, uh, what do you like about the whole kind of concept where it's just they introduce people who later become a big part and to avoid being formulaic, you wonder if there's going to be a disruption this season or if it's going to be kind of a slow burn psychological kind of thriller. <laughs> And how everyone is introduced, you know, uh, you understand what crime they're for and you wonder if there's going to be any redemption or if they're just going to be just, again, just a cynical person who's just going to rebound, just keep going back to what landed them in here in the first place. (laughs) And uh, What would you say about uh, how this whole thing kind of progresses? Do do you think they did a pretty good job of just kind of outlying everybody's problems or man honestly like one thing i love about this show just kind of like what you were saying like no other show like even the wire and the sopranos which i'm a huge fan of both of those like no show can touch the character development on us like there's people who you start out just absolutely hating but then you know you might not necessarily you grow to love them but you start to sympathize with them a little bit like adabisi for example you know i really did not like him for the most part of the first two seasons. I mean, I was entertained by him, of course. Yeah, I was the same way. I was just like, yeah, he's got no redemption, but he's pretty amusing at times because you just yeah. don't know what to expect from him if he's going to just moon everybody, if he's going to just get in a random fight just because <laughs> he can. Right, but then, you know, we start seeing, like, sort of the genius of him, for lack of a better word. I mean, he pretends to go crazy and go work in the AIDS ward just to get back at Napa. And, you know, we don't know if he's really Craig going crazy or not, or if this is all some ploy of his. Oh, totally. And then, and then it just gets even more and more just, if, if it's not gray, then it's just like silver in between white. <laughs> because 
uh, a pill of darkness because I mean we get even um, uh, Zelchko Ivanek, who you guys might know as Dennis Hopper's evil son on Twenty Four, and also from Homicide as the main attorney on there. And right. here he plays Governor Devlin, and he said he got the actor said he got so many prick rolls after this, and I'm like I believe it because like the Magister, he played the Magister on True Blood. And and there you go. Air, but honestly. Him as the magister, he looked like a fucking saint next to his character as the Governor Devlin. Yeah, because then he was the well-intended roles of Madam Secretary and Banshee, and like, but that's not anything like what we know you for. You know, previously you just were always just that guy who just had to be just kind of ruthless and you know, crooked. And here is like, he's basically just a typical scum of the earth politician who just, I mean, he even just tells, oh yeah. Uh, Warden, you could be my, you know, second in command. You could get a place on my staff, but you got to exploit your daughter who's been, uh, you know, assaulted by someone who's connected to one of the gangsters in the prison, Alvarez. is like, yeah, no, that's not cool at all. And yeah. and then he goes even like a step further. Like you kind of, you don't feel sorry for when he gets shot at by one of the prisoners. <laughs> not by your happy. Not, not by the prisoners, uh, my bad, uh, by the fired uh uh prison guard uh clayton remember but he does become a prisoner there because of that yeah it's just such a funny reverse he's just he's been told everything he can't be and so he ends up being in there and it's like wow was he always destined for this it makes you wonder <laughs> you know we were talking about character development but another thing they do so well is the character downfalls yeah and then you, the viewers, start questioning yourself. It's like, am I a terrible person for wanting this person to fail or wanting them to rise up and create some create a ruckus and escape? You know, right. like, what does that say about me? And it's like, <laughs> if any way, if anything, this is kind of a pulp graphic novel. You know, it's like because, but most people they seem to think you know pulp fiction. They think oh you know Tarantino and everything. It's like no, I mean the actual just like escapism when someone could write a just a random graphic novel and it felt either poetic or just so surreal in its nature. You know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like you know another uh, character downfall, so to speak, would be Kenny Briggs Wangler. You know, like at first I kind of liked him. I felt bad for him. You know, I thought he was some good kid who got dealt a shitty handed but then as the seasons progress like this guy is as officer heim would say he's a scum fuck uh, absolutely because i mean and jd williams uh the rest of you might know him from as Bodie on the wire or as dexter oh, on the right. good wife but yeah he uh, this is just very interesting because it's like can someone help a brother out you know and <laughs> it, it just separating from these guys was like yeah no the budget and the time it's just not gonna allow and he just continually uh just uh he kind of just uh he he was basically destined to fail they kind of mm -hmm. imply because he was never in any kind of positive environment and had never any uh, desire to even learn and it doesn't help that, you know, when he first takes a gig, you know, it's just because he wants to take a break from just being the janitor, the mopper. And that works against him because he doesn't take it serious at first. So then they don't, you know, when 
when he cries, they, you know, McManus and company just, and all the other psych ward guys just think, oh, he's just crying wolf just to get out of it. And yeah. Then when they apply their actual effort to him, then he ends up, you know, just being, oh, well, I don't want to learn now. I want to just go back to Moffat. I don't have to think. <laughs> right. And that this is great too, because in that room, you know, much like, the Sopranos was kind of a big inspiration because everybody had to just have a character, just have a a mental breakdown and just meet with a psychiatrist. It's like here is like everyone's just having these meetings that are just as painfully awkward as say uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. You know, everybody's <laughs> in a center of a room, just circle around and just having to offload, you know, what's on their mind. And I'm really even surprised that some of these actors haven't had as big a role. Like, Chuck Zito has been on Sons of Anarchy, but he's mostly done stunt work or just shitty B-movies. Uh, R.E. Rogers, yeah. who played Robson, the other second-in-command of the Supremacist Brotherhood, I would have thought he'd get even more roles, but he doesn't seem to have done as much besides a bunch of plays and TV guest spots. Um, and then was like, I think he guest-starred twice on SVU, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think both times he played a shitty cop. Uh, yeah, that was kind of the irony. He was playing a shitty prisoner who was, you know, raping people and then getting raped as an amusing uh, downfall. And right. and like you say, it did kind of become a who's who of Dexter's after all, because then we had the surprise motherfucker guy, uh, Eric <laughs> King, you know, dokes. Yeah. Yeah. There he plays Moses. Yeah. And I'm like, Moses is interesting because it shows how some of the people who are on death row or uh, just totally separated from the rest of the crew uh are just absolutely just like we we're kind of afraid to even figure out a little more about it It almost becomes kind of a psychological horror movie in those scenes <laughs> oh man um and like you said before there are a lot uh probably the one who i just thought was an actual just scum of the earth and i didn't feel sorry for until their final literally five seconds of their life was probably Catherine Herb's Shirley, who's totally re resembling Susan Smith, you know? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, man. I felt so bad for her. Like, I know I shouldn't have, but if you're saying me, I felt yeah, bad Yeah, no. For her. <laughs> like, and uh, I, ironically, uh, the actress was actually married to uh, McManus portrayer Terry Kinney for a while. <laughs> that's right. Right. They oh, were yeah. married during this time, and then they divorced about, in know, six. So it was like, yeah, that's wild. <laughs> Speaking of uh, McManus, you were talking about his uh, roles earlier. Have you ever seen this one really underrated movie that he was in? He actually plays a corrupt uh, guard in this little juvenile facility called Sleepers. Oh, yeah. And that was produced by Levinson. So there you go. There's the connection. Yeah. Produced and directed by Levinson. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Kevin Bacon's character, I kind of got kind of a good version of O'Reilly. Or no, bad version of O'Reilly. Yeah, he was a cheap yeah, prison. Yeah, and... Uh, that, that's so true yeah i mean uh and that's a good jumping point too because i mean aside from just you know again most other people like us are just going to look at that and just say oh you know i spotted an actor before they were well known but like those movies in general i think are great because they well sleepers is generally accepted to be a good movie there's plenty of other people who are like i didn't know what to think about at the time it's like it's kind of because that was kind of ahead of its time and oh, i think Oz was like the jumping point. It's like, here's how we stretch it out and we make it, you know, 
it's kind of like an anthology show, but it's really all interconnected. <laughs> but we're using a lot of the same kind of devices where we have all this shocking content. But I think it has always had just way more respect. Like my parents were big fans of it. I've had plenty of other friends and other people just talk about it for years because they did a solid DVD treatment of it. And uh, they uh, it just people understood the intent. It You know, obviously they could get away with stuff is like there's some plenty of stuff in here that is totally X rated in terms of the violence and nudity. But there's yeah. also a lot of other stuff on here that. It's like it's the only way they could have even, you know, had they tried to make a movie version of this, you know, they would have either hired too many unconvincing but famous people in here for the, you know, for an easy box office return. Or, again, it just would have become probably like half of some of these other Tarantino type people, whereas it's like it wasn't liked at the time, but it became appreciated years later. And I think is like, yeah, I mean, just the musical episode they do in like the second to last season that's when yeah. you know it's like that this is the only place it could ever have existed <laughs> like uh, especially that, when the characters are just being it's a very sincere musical they're doing it's so it's funny that's, and happy. That's sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no no sorry i didn't mean to cut you off either sorry i'm <laughs> you're all gonna say like you know it's that musical episode i think that is one of the very few like actually well done musical episodes in a series let alone a dramatic one yeah, because, like, other musical episodes, like, on a sitcom or something, like, they would either have too many jokes to where it would take you a while to just kind of get all the lyrics and everything, or it would just be a little heavy-handed in how it was edited together. And it's like, that one, it came on on a day when I wasn't even in the mood for a musical, <laughs> but I thought about it so much afterwards, especially, I was just in tears almost just guffawing when i saw the priest is imagining himself singing like that's just funny he's like i bear my soul to you it's like that's funny and uh oh yeah and what's his name um both tobias and vernon you know who have been trying to kill each other and they just sing a song it's like i've always wanted to slit your throat you know it's like that's (laughs) funny oh my god their uh, performance was definitely the best. And in my opinion, I thought both Lee and JK actually sang very well to my surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if they had experience doing that on stage or with their acting background, but I think, you know, every, apparently word has been coming out on the street recently that like JK Simmons was so depressed, you know, doing this role. How can you not be? You're playing. Right. Yeah, I've heard that some of the actors, and I think J.K. might have been including that, like some of them actually had to go to counseling after Oz was all said and done. And yeah. I mean, like, especially like for those guys who had to play like Aryan Brotherhood members, like... You have oh to think all these things. You have to... Ba- and, I mean, rule number one as an actor, regardless of the character you play, in order to give, you know, absolute conviction about what you believe in, you have to just... Uh, especially when I was even taking some courses, I was seeing some of the same stuff they teach, you know, everybody at every acting school is like the character is never wrong. And that's how a lot of them play. And it's like, well, if you do that, then that, yeah, that can kind of fuck with your psyche. I'm like, yeah, do I justify my, you know, scumbag character? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Do I? Yeah. Oh, man. Props to him. Cause I mean, that takes like serious mental and physical tolls on you. It really can. And um, (laughs) 
Uh, I'm sure it wasn't a big deal for a lot of the guys who had like supporting roles as like the guards because they were basically just, you know, featured extras. I mean, uh, I think Pepper from Salt and Pepper is even in here, believe it or not. Oh, was she? Was she Brianna? Is that was that her name? I think so. And this is like she had, I only I saw her credit for like 10 episodes, but I only saw her talking like one of them in the re- two other episodes where she was in the background, but I didn't see her do anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. Damn. Um, yeah, and Jackson Bayhew goes to complain to her about Mickey and all the other rats, and all she has to say is that Mickey was a mouse. Which <laughs> is Jackson to just go fuck himself. Yeah, it, it, it's just really funny because it's like they're just working in that whole just... Uh, and, and whenever someone's introduced, it, it's really interesting because some of them have been in the background for a while and then they're slowly becoming a big, huge part of it. Even like uh, the naked uh, prisoner who's, you know, hanging upside down who yeah. instigates a whole fight. That was played by a stuntman, but that got him... You see, years later, he started acting as a result of this first acting credit. And it's just kind of funny because some of the most minor characters, even ones who like lasted one episode, end up becoming a huge part of the whole flow. Is like, remember so and so and what happened to him? Like, they'll be mentioned in dialogue, and you instantly know who that is. Like, uh, Leon, of all people, you know, from above the rim, <laughs> cliffhanger, you know, he gets killed yeah. like two episodes in, and he's like, same thing with uh, Dino, played by John Cena, who many might know as Antonio on Chicago PD and, uh, you know, the boyfriend Chris in the movie Selena, as well as The Pacific and Homicide as Falcone. So it's like, yeah, he was perfectly cast there. And I thought it was such a cool tribute that he ends up being one of the dead prisoners who are speaking in the final season, because that kind of compliments Augustus Hill. It's like, OK, he's dead. What about yep. all the other dead voices? Right. And I know a lot of people hate on season six and I will acknowledge its problems, but I, that was an element that I absolutely loved in season six is having dead prisoners like Jefferson Keene, Andrew Schillinger. And all yeah, I, sort of back. Like, I thought that was awesome. So many act like it's unwatchable and like I, I have issues with Sopranos, how it ends and some of the other shows that end. But this one really for me, this is a slight spoiler. Uh Really, the only issue for me was just how Saeed's death kind of just came out of nowhere. It could have kind of hinted at that more that, hey, there's some people trying to get into the prison and one of them wants to kill you to do it. Like, I could have just needed a little bit of that and then I would have had some fun. But, right. And I, I will say this, Joel Gray's character, that's right, <laughs> Cabaret, is here. Uh, his character really didn't go anywhere, in my opinion, but that's just me. I, uh, I can agree with that, yeah. Uh, like... He was interesting and well portrayed, but it was kind of, it was just one of those where I was just like, okay, so I, I feel like you're not, you're either not spending enough time on him or he should just do something else bad shit or he should just be executed immediately because now I'm still feeling the pain over Saeed being killed because <laughs> Saeed, you know will resort to hostage takeovers or negotiating with all the other awful guys, but he has a political message. That's what makes him different from all the other guys. And for him to just kind of die and he's not even a prophet or anything, I just felt like they could have, it could have been funny just seeing a little bit of fanfare. And as close as they got was the only irony that I thought was well handled was, Oh, and by the way, Saeed's book is now published. (laughs) (laughs) And now he, you know, 
the company gets to collect all those residuals and he gets nothing. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That yeah, that really sounds another character like they didn't kill him off or anything, which I almost kinda wish they would have you know, killed him off or had him come to Oswald as a prisoner, but um right. <laughs> something I can't remember his last name, but you know the guy who's like he was part of the mafia but he worked for Oz as well. Oh, um, fuck. Um, what, the Italian mob? Are you talking about Masante, or are you talking about... Yeah, no, he's with the Italian mob, but, you know, he worked with uh, the Shabettas. He's one who, after Peter got raped by Adebisi, you know, he came and told Peter in the hospital, you know, that he was out. Oh, um, shit, that wasn't, uh, what's his name, who was, like, the son of Dino? Or, not Dino, um, uh, Nino. Are you thinking of Nino's son, who... Yeah, tries he, to, uh, yeah, he he tries to bribe the warden and say, "Hey, t- tell me who ki- who beat up your kid. I'll 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 kill him and you'll owe me." You know, but yeah, yeah, out kind of on top, and then you just see his downfall, and you know, and then Lenny's like trying, Lenny's trying his best to help him, be like, "The family's disappointed with how you're running things," and then after you know he gets raped, Lenny comes to the hospital and tells Peter that he's out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was a character, you know, he was in a good bit of season one and a couple of episodes in season two, and then we never hear about him, we never see him again. It's just you like, wondered if that. I, I know the trivia was that if an actor was late, they would be killed off. Right. Or raped on screen. And so it was like, yeah, what's going to happen to him? So I, it did make me wonder. Yeah, uh, so for the ones that disappeared, if they got, like, a DUI or some shit or what, you know, it's like, were they just balancing it out? Did they not answer their phone one day and they got written off? But, yeah, for the most part, a lot of the people who are there from day one end up the whole run. Um, I find it pretty ironic how the O'Reilly's brothers, or uh, the O'Reilly the brothers' uh, father, you know, they become... Ryan becomes so close to his mom, who was never there for him, and his right. father ends up being in prison with them. And I will mildly complain. They could have hinted that, you know, what his crime industry is like. But in all fairness, if you look at it a little closer, they do kind of imply that he's up to no good outside. He's got he's just a drunk. And how it happens is very amusing. It's like it's the most pettiest thing ever is like just smashing someone with a car. Talk about a terrible way to go. Right? Um, like, shot him in the head or something? Jesus, dude. Right? Uh, and and it didn't matter, you know, what it was for. It's always just the most just petty thing. And, like, Jesus. Um, I will say Officer Adrian Johnson. You know, he's played by Cyrus Farmer. I've already known him as uh, an evil uh, father on NYPD Blue who was harassing Detective uh, Baldwin Jones. And so it's like I was so used, and he had also been on another Stephen Bochco produced show called, uh, you know, Brooklyn South. So I'm used to all these gangbanger roles I've seen him in, you know. And, right. And of course, like usual, he's been in plenty of other movies and shows. But I was like, when I saw him, you know, on here, is like, I thought he was, you know, he was pretty laid back, pretty cool security guard. And then the fact yeah. that he got paid to kill the warden is like. I'd kind of gotten spoilers before and knew that most everyone was dying on here, but I only have an issue if someone dies in a show, if I just feel like it's a last minute idea or not as well edited in execution. I didn't really, 
for me, it kind of felt appropriate. And it was a shorter season, so it kind of helped to kind of soak it all in. But I, I think at this point, they all wanted to get it done because, it's like, for whatever reason, it just was a lower-rated show. It had been on so long, and it's like, six year, yeah, this is going to be the final year. So, you know, it's going to be a Greek tragedy, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I really do dig a lot of the final season, and I know it's... I even see some people start with, oh, it goes downhill by season three or four. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> Those are like two of the best seasons. I, I could not go without season three or four because I think, yeah, it's like the the first season was interesting because it was short and it ended with a total dog day afternoon kind of diehard in a prison kind of standoff. Yeah. And then season two just, you know, opened it up and just illustrated, hey, by the way, there's new inmates here and we're going to have the recurring mystery of what really happened that awful, you know, hostage takeover, you know, and it's just so interesting how it gets even more blurry or how, you know, some prison guards murdered another prisoner and uh, some of them are bel totally belong in the same prison, if not a bigger one. And you, you just are, by the time it gets to season three and four, you're so used to just seeing some of the other political intrigue that's going to happen and seeing even, you know, the priest, you know, question his faith. And why does he give so many other people a chance for stuff that, you know, they just can't uh, even remotely begin to dissolve themselves up? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like when uh, Keller starts having uh, Sister Pete question her faith, she almost leaves the convent. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I'll backtrack a bit there. So, yeah, this is what got Chris Maloney on the map, you know, as Keller. And it's just so funny how around the same time he and Dean, you know, Mayhem were filming SVU. So <laughs> I, I kind of made the joke that this is them if they went undercover in prison and they got too close. But no, seriously, I mean, this definitely got him on the map. This is definitely his... Uh, I knew he was known for this, but I, you know, I was mainly watching SVU, but I knew, you know, he was on the show and uh, it's just so funny how the actor would just say in just countless interviews. And he's still saying it's like anytime he went to the gym, you know, people recognize actors all the time. He would get recognized for this or Wet Hot American Summer or Harold, Harold and Kumar. And it just <laughs> was so funny how it, you know women would react to him and say, I saw you, I saw all of you. And he's like, is that a good thing? Are you actually complimenting my acting? What, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know he owned this role. Cause I mean, uh, killer even just says it himself is like, I have nothing to offer. And yet, so I'm just going to get comfy and cozy while I'm here. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's like a spree killer. A partial serial killer and then i think they said that he had a rape rap sheet but he was mainly just like a bisexual guy he's just like yeah i kill what i kill i frame who i frame and i basically don't get knocked around in this prison too often <laughs> and to even have a basketball player rick fox you know as a basketball player with a rap sheet that was interesting because right <laughs> it was like that, that totally kind of, it's just so funny how when he returns there later and they're like, they're all getting his autograph as he's coming into the prison. I'm like, that's pretty funny. That's, that really is. That, that, that 
even makes you think about even the Kobe Bryant's of the world, you know, and just all the other people who had just alleged, you know, disputes and you made you wonder is like, <laughs> were they pimped out by their managers or were they actually good people who were framed, you know, or was it really just kind of like an OJ equivalent where it's like, it was a bad person with a heavy handed case, you know, <laughs> and it's like, uh, they, they do good at just even just making all these guys stand out to where you just don't see the, like, other than, again, the Susan Smith barrels, you don't see as many uh, obvious uh, tie-ins to real life. And, I mean, you definitely see where other shows would just experiment with this whole thing. It's like, let's, you know, and so kids of this generation, when they think of, you know, breaking the fourth wall, it's kind of a shame that, I don't know where, but most people just didn't seem to think about it much unless it was a famous actor playing a comedic version of themselves in like a Kevin Smith movie or something like that or Deadpool. But that's it. It's like no one seems to think about, well, the fourth wall breaking has happened plenty of times. Yeah, Malcolm like, in the Middle, if you ever watch that show. Malcolm in the Middle and uh, Spinal Tap, I mean, was both a mockumentary, but there's plenty of times where they're just talking to the camera. <laughs> right, right. Wayne's World. Wayne's World, yes. <laughs> just that uh, the 90s was definitely a perfect time for when everyone got comfortable just kind of experimenting a bit. And it, yeah, they were used to just kind of saying, okay, just wing it. If you can make the movie on time, I'll let you do whatever the hell you want. And we'll, you know, we'll give it a festival run and then we'll make it premiere on one of the movie channels or the video store and we'll get our money back. <laughs> and Right, just, right. I know Fontana said on the Homicide uh, DVD special features that he uh, he let he pretty much left the directors alone and he never had any issue with any of them. And I think that's kind of the same here is like everybody got, you know, was thankful not only to work, but kind of show what they had to offer as a visionary. And much like Homicide, there are plenty of episodes and even on SVU nowadays, there's plenty of episodes that don't even start what you even expected to start. It does kind of avoid the formulaic excuse is like, and being as predictable by just having even a different tone each episode. And mm -hmm. it just really helped because you could, I mean, even some of the flashbacks, some would be way more, you know, implied and suspenseful and some would be far more graphic to where you're like, Oh my God, you know? <laughs> yeah. And as soon as you think you know where it's going, it just completely takes a left turn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, some of the writers who worked on here had giant careers afterwards. Sean Whitesoul, um, who also uh, played uh, Donald Groves. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was one of the writers. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, he... Aside from that and Homicide, he stopped acting after a while and produced and wrote for a bunch of shows, including The Black Donnellys, Boston Public, and Cold Case. <laughs> oh, wow. I, I hadn't watched the other two, but I used to watch Cold Case growing up. You know, just would throw it on TV here and there. Yeah, and it, that was so weird. It, it's a very criminally forgotten about show, and it's kind of like you see Cold Cases mentioned in like other stuff like Bones or Bosch, but like with that one, is like, that you know that was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, and yet it was so unlike any other Jerry Bruckheimer thing. And yet it kind of it was a perfect example of just like 
a show just kind of breaking the mold of what is typically done. And it's like networks were at least going to give a show like uh, the benefit of the doubt half the time before they start saying, hey, you know, ratings are down. You got to add sexy people to the cast. You got to have more violence. <laughs> that CSI is doing. Right. Um, Sunil Nayar has later went on to write many episodes of CSI Miami, as well as Body of Proof and Revenge. He's currently writing for All Rise. He also wrote that other CBS LGBTQ show, uh, The Red Line, um, which also dealt with Black Lives Matter. So I think, yeah, a lot of these guys were just used to wherever the wind blows, they were willing to just get their feet wet just I shouldn't use that when we're talking about a prison show, but anyway, it is like they would, uh, they were used to just kind of just doing a show that just had a typical kind of commentary and uh, formats. Um, Irene Burns, believe it or not, was a big producer on this and later went on to work on not only uh, City on a Hill, but 30 Rock. So yeah, there's the mayhem connection. <laughs> um. So I'll get into a little bit of City on the Hill before I bring it back. I've been really highly impressed by this one so far. Two seasons in, and it's kind of like Homeland, where some people have heard about it, and some people have seen episodes, but not not enough people are talking about it. And it's, I like it because it's not typical of Showtime. It's like the show that they should have never aired. Like some other network who would have appreciated it should have aired it, but they happen to be the one, and it's not only been great to see both leads, you know, Aldous Hodge as a black lawyer in 1990s uh, Boston uh, playing against crooked FBI agent, uh, you know, Kevin Bacon, but it's been also just cool to see how it kind of just foreshadows a lot of what happens today, but against the nineties. So you can't call it too pretentious or, you know, <laughs> it, it's just showing how there's a little segregation there. Uh, people, uh, once again, petty criminals that are made interesting by uh, showing kind of their psychological downfall, especially with how Bacon's a crooked FBI guy, and he, kind of like these prisoners, he has a breaking point. He has unusual moments in which he displays what made led to his downfall, as well as by season two, he decides to kind of redeem himself and say, hey— your wife got attacked, uh, Mr. Attorney. How about I, you know, help out, so to speak? And it's not as twisted as the other ones, but it is a great kind of slow burn. And it's definitely one I can definitely compliment compared to some of the other ones, which, you know, we've all had a show which we got recommended and we saw all the awards and we get into it and we're like, eh, I'm finding this pretty skippable so far. You know, <laughs> there's been some of those duds on Netflix. And this one, I, I think you definitely would dig into it. Um, oh yeah, it's on my list for sure. And and they do anytime they're in a hospital, it is the Saint Elijah's Hospital, so it really is cool seeing Fontana go that far back again. <laughs> and, right. And, and just I, I, much like, and it's kind of even funny too how David E. Kelly would do that for a while with his practice Boston Legal franchise. <laughs> he because all those shows were owned at by Fox. So he was able to work in the St. Elsewhere connection, but it was funny too, because I uh, just, you know, he's, his shows were primarily, primarily set in Boston. So it's just funny how 
everyone kind of made that work as part of their narrative as opposed to, you know, we're in Canada, so of course we're going to be set in Canada or, you know, we're set in, you know, Louisiana, so we got to make it set there. They they really did kind of adopt the motif and the style and make that be part of the show. Um, who was the most, uh, bringing it back here uh, to our main subject, um, I, I really... I, I don't think uh, either show is going to be forgotten about. Obviously, I mean, I think City on a Hill's main issue is it just came out at a bad time. But I think people are doing the on-demand and they're getting an appreciation for it. Just like Showtime's other show, Ray Donovan. I think they're really finally getting into it. And obviously, if you're a fan of stuff like the Chicago PD shows or the uh, adapted uh, Bosch franchise, I think many will get into that one and dig it, but um, all the same, I think it's all the same to even Fontana. He's used to just kind of people soaking up stuff slowly and just talking about it. He's even right. done other shows that were well-liked, but everyone kind of forgets what happened to him, like Copper and The Philanthropist, so um, he still, I think he says to this day, he doesn't even own a computer. He writes all his scripts longhand on a yellow legal pad. <laughs> um, and I think it helps that he's taught at various universities, various periodicals and done plays. Cause I mean, that's exactly, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, most of these people, their background is they've all done numerous plays and so forth um and uh it, it's so cool how he and dick wolf producer you know were just you know such deep friends they would just practically just work around each other's schedules say hey you can borrow my director or my actor for the week <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it because i'm kind of tired of just seeing all these just various you know hostile friendships you know like Warner Herzog and Klaus Kinski, or even something more recent like Taraji B. Henson and 50 Cent getting on a Twitter war over whose show is better. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> you can all be enjoyed. And, and now probably the biggest offender now is, you know, comic books. You know, Marvel and DC got to get in a dick measuring war, and I, I don't get it. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> right? Like, I like both of them. I mean, but, you know, nowadays everyone thinks that, you know, you can only like one thing. Right, is like there's plenty of people who like all those as well as Fast and Furious, Transformers, or GI Joe or Expendables. Is like you like what you like, and exactly. then you back, and then you back it up, or then you take the easy way out and just show a positive or negative review that proves your point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so any other guest appearances on Oz that really uh, shocked you? <laughs> Um, but, probably Method Man is Chuck Daniels. I really enjoy. Yeah, that. cheese from the wire, and um, and <laughs> Tony Lewis, who had played you know Terry uh, Stivers on Homicide. You know, I I didn't expect her uh, when she instills a dog rehabilitation program. That was really a surprising arc for both her, and you weren't sure what was going to happen to even Alvarez. Like, what are you going to do, dude? You know, right. Yeah. Is like, because doesn't he, like, train a dog to attack one person and then, or we think he's going to, but he doesn't. But it's like he has a vision and is like, jeez. 
<laughs> from my recollection, Alvarez actually trains his dog to like become uh, Officer Rivera's like service dog, the CEO that he blinded, and that Pinder's trained the, his dog to a uh, attack officer. That's what it was, and it was all so together, so I forgot about that part. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> I love that story arc. Oh, totally. I also totally spaced out and forgot Louise Guzman was on here. Oh, yeah, El Cid. Because he started out, you thought it was just like a one or two time like guest appearance, but then he just kept coming back. And it was just so wild because it made you wonder, is like, would a Latino gangbanger work with all these Italian guys? And like, because, you know, this does do a good job of showing how, you know, the prejudices that often exist between criminals. It's like, no, I'm not working with the blacks. And then you're seeing, again, out of BC, work with the white supremacists. <laughs> um, here, I think it was a little more plausible. Is like he and the Italians all had the same goal as like, get rid of Alvarez. He's a snitch. Get rid of all these other guys who are talking shit to us. And it kind of made sense that Guzman was on here because, I mean, he had been just in so many Steven Soderbergh movies by this point and just seeing him his range here was kind of cool absolutely that man is a phenomenal actor all right and he's a good sport it's just so funny how he made fun of himself years later on community after <laughs> that's a show i still need to finish i got about up to season three and this was years ago and then i stopped and now here i am you know it's one of those ones you know like oh, i'm gonna pick it back up and then days turn into weeks and then weeks <laughs> It was one that I revisited all this year, and I thought for the longest time I was, you know, it was just going to be a show I casually watch. I don't watch every episode, but I, it really was a good appreciation seeing all the episodes because, you know, you understand the show slightly better. And because there's plenty of others, it's like I can watch just like five episodes and you generally know, especially when it comes to a comedy show. And that one was one is like, yeah, I benefited from that. And it's different. Right. Um, say always sunny is like if you don't see all 18 seasons that's okay you'll see it you've seen a bunch of it that's good enough i love that show oh yeah and i, I definitely I, I know that the head of hbo programming later went on to stars and they did a lot of the same kind of stuff especially with power um yeah. but uh fx i know Kevin O'Reilly was like the head of that there. And then after the shield won all the Emmys, he went to NBC and programmed a little known show called the office. But yeah, it's like, <laughs> it seems like I would like to know who are the programming heads now and what are they doing? Cause it seems like NBC will have a show. That's like a sci-fi thing. And it, you already know it's not going to last the season cause it's under promoted and always on the worst possible day. They, yeah. They bought it, but don't want to honor the contract. And it's like, it seems like some of these movie channels are, there's always one show that they cancel each year. And you wonder, was it just really that bad in terms of ratings? Or did you just not know what to do with it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know some of them have been outspoken for years. They're like, hey, this is winning us all the Emmys, but we hate these shows. We don't think they're good at all. <laughs> right. And... I never heard anyone dissing this show. I did see some people occasionally kind of say, I don't want to watch this kind of coming off as homophobic. I'm like, it's just a good show. It's Re referring to Oz. Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that's another thing I want to talk about. Like, do you think that show could fly today? I mean, like, yes, there are racial and homophobic slurs, but it, 
it's part of the show, you know what I mean? Like, otherwise the show wouldn't be as accurate as fear instilling. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, I think a lot of the channels, like, they'll let some stuff fly, but they're also kind of trying to wind down, like, HBO now, like, they did away with the whole Skinamax thing, and they they got so tired of the porn jokes each time Game of Thrones was on, so I think <laughs> they definitely don't want as much of this shit on there now. Right. But at the same time, I think everyone also just kind of confuses, like, the context of all this stuff is like, yeah, this is better than, say, some of these other shows where it's like they were gory for gore's sake. Um, and Stars has definitely had some shows, which I've seen, where I'm like, yeah, no, this is just very dull. Or it's trying too hard to be like Arrested Development, and it's just rated R. Um, right. Who's the other guy? Uh, the other Showtime has definitely had plenty of moments where I'm like, this is just a very bad, well-acted B-movie show. <laughs> or you're just trying to imitate all the other stuff that was on the other movie channels. So I think all of them know that they have no room to just be a rival anymore. And it, it helps that word gets around really fast, especially in The Hollywood Reporter, on who passes on a show and who buys the other show. And right. who wins awards and everything. So I think everyone also knows it's like they got to watch what they say in the development room, you know, instead of just looking like, you know, uninspired hacks who lucked out. You know, I think all their thunder has come and gone a bit and they know that their ass is going to keep being rivaled by, you know, the main network TV shows now allowing a little more content on there that's edgy and, you know, streaming is definitely changed everyone's way and i mean remember when blu-ray took over and everyone thought oh dvd's going away i'm like no dvd's just a alternative you can get it at a gas station you can get it at a (laughs) whatever if you just don't have a movie streaming platform or you just want to own a physical copy and it's five bucks less than the (laughs) blu-ray uh i i think yeah i think everybody's i I think a lot of this it, it was the right place right time it could not happen today because you know this is before even when people were tweet uh you know the movie channels don't play it but all the network shows will often have a twitter feed happening at the bottom of a screen and that got a little distracting but yeah it was like yeah now people would just be again just shocked by the content and not understanding like the purpose of it and everything there's just i think somehow we got a little more backwards somehow some people have been under a rock and you would just have too many just argument wars. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It seems I like agree. everything has to be a big deal. Uh, I agree with you there. Cool to find some common ground, and I, I think that's just it. I, I think. I mean, you've seen some celebrities talk about is it. like we have to watch even the simplest thing we say because we know it can be. Uh taken as a crappy you know headline or what have you and we got to do damage control through our hr rep um i think a lot of people now are just if they're not in a rivalry contest they want to just kind of i think we're even past the point of people just want to even just test and see what they can get away with now they know the rules it's like now we can get away with just about anything so now we just got to actually remember, hey, shock value has a limit. You know, it, it, I mean, yeah. 
look at how many comedians were guest starring on here. It's like we got uh, accused uh, controversial comedian uh, Brian Callen. <laughs> yeah, and, and speaking of another character who just kind of came and went. Yeah, uh, what was his character's name? Was it Crookshanks? Brian, was it? I think so. He wanted to be a teacher at the school, yeah. and um, and, and here he is now on Twitter, going back and forth saying, "I didn't rape all those five women who have a." It's like I don't usually believe half the Me Too stuff because it's just not well reported and everything. But then there's other right. says like that case I did kind of believe because it's like. Yeah, same kind of thing, uh, same kind of different setting, but same kind of purpose, and none of the people had anything in common, so I didn't believe it was someone ganging up and, you know, making a story yeah. more impactful, and, I mean, but he was one of many comedians who would always complain, oh, people are so politically correct, uh, what can I joke about? I think the ones that will prosper are ones that know how to be creative, like, you're not going to see, for instance, Sarah Silverman or Jack Black ever complain about what they can't or can't say in the certain movie or show. And so I think there's other comedians is like they've become a little spoiled on just using a podcast form and working for themselves. So it's like, yeah, it's like the ones that just don't want to evolve and hate being censored in any way, shape or form probably won't grow. But uh, the filmmakers and comedians who just, you know take whatever formula and just run with it and make it and own it. I think those ones prosper. Cause it's just like, Hey, you know, it's, there's a time and purpose for everything. And we can't do this on this show. Then that's fine. Just as long as we're all having a pretty well fleshed out scenario. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, there's plenty of others who it's like net, how often do you think when you see a show nowadays, are you like, I'm not sure how many seasons this is good for <laughs> <laughs> or how much more shocking it can be before it wears thin on my patience, you know? <laughs> right. And I guess it was just the right place, the right time. And they again, had the right kind of crew that was assembling just intricate and very deep thinking uh, chats that made you think, okay, you know, I, the viewer, I'm invited to see something I shouldn't be seeing, but uh, now, now we're here and now I can't look away. <laughs> just, just like a war movie where something awful is happening. It's like it's that kind of glued to the screen. And I, I'm sure everybody doesn't mind even just working on this show just because it's like they learned so much on, I mean, even just making those visual. Uh, blue screens that played all the I mean talk about the set design I mean didn't you get a feel of just like that you were walking around and you knew where every area of it was <laughs> honestly yeah uh, any other show nowadays is like I don't even get uh, you know I don't really know where half of the stuff is because it's just not featured on screen long enough and it makes you wonder did they just run out of time or was it really just that small a set? <laughs> uh, yeah. Now this has been uh, very fascinating talking about it with you. And um, hopefully, I mean, there's plenty of other shows that are this uh, impactful. And I, I guess to close it out, uh, 
who would you introduce this to? Would you introduce this to any other fans of crime fiction or? Well, actually, um, I tried to introduce it to a friend of mine, and uh, I don't know if I should admit this on the podcast, so apologies, but uh, we had been smoking a certain something that's not cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he took one too many hits, and he couldn't really follow it, and it, it was kind of just too intense for him. I guess like the paranoia set in. Oh, dear. You know, I want to try it with him again. And mind you, he's also like, you know, a big old hippie. And, you know, so maybe this wasn't the right show for him, but I want to try it with him again. And I'm actually about to show it to my mom within the next month or two because I finally got her to agree to watch it. She's not big on, you know, prison material. Like, um, she doesn't like the Shawshank Redemption. So, I mean, but mm. I really feel like if she just, I mean, I feel like if she just sticks with odds, you know, like if she just watches the first season, she'll be in love. If she likes all these other cops and robbers stuff, she can probably handle this. But yeah, there's, uh, I've had other friends and it's like, there's only like maybe two out of those 14. I could introduce this to the rest of them would just, I don't know. They would probably get annoyed by the nudity or the slurs or, yeah, and one of them I know has done prison time, and so he would not. He definitely, if he's seen any of this, he would not enjoy it at all. <laughs> and some of those same people are kind of the same kinds. Like they probably wouldn't even be able to enjoy something like The Shield. It's like I know what The Shield is. I knew what it was before it was. So before you know Black Lives Matter riots and everything, and all this other cro crooked cop corruption, I was so used to just seeing you know hard boiled movies where cops cross the line and become you know thugs with badges so i yeah. thought it was a very well acted and very twisted and at times even just outrageous show and <laughs> uh probably even better than the sopranos because it's like yeah it ended so perfectly and yet i kind of just want a little more as because there's so <laughs> many again just like this there's so many characters to follow and if you even cut one subplot versus the other everybody you know you can form a storyline around every single character they're not just you know you know it doesn't fall victim like other shows do where it's like there's three different characters and none of them do anything until a certain season and it's like right. and both these shows in shield and oz i think did did that perfectly but yeah i think you're, you're just you got too many investors just debating about who should play what so i think yeah, if we're not having certain content that might be objectifying to certain people or that's just too uh, echo, big an echo of real life, I think you just got to really carefully outline your format and your intent and somehow, I guess, basically you got to do a compromise. You got to have like three people who are semi-known. And then you got to cast the right people who can carry a show. And it's like, yeah, it's just don't work in show business. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, uh, for those who do appreciate it, it does seem like it's a very overlooked show at times, despite starting out pretty acclaimed and starting the boat. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Hopefully it'll keep finding an audience now that's, you know, you can stream virtually everything in the home box office vault. So, <laughs> and I recommend it to everyone that I can. Oh, totally. Uh, those who I know, and, and especially with the shows that I mentioned at the start that were similar, I'm like, I, I think if you guys like NYPD Blue or Sons of Anarchy or 
uh, power. You're going to like this one, but, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, some of those people who I notice who like one versus the other just seem to also be the kind where, like, they can't appreciate what inspired someone to make something. Like, they're the kind, they laugh at what movies Tarantino references, but they don't like the movies he's referencing. I'm like, well, <laughs> you wouldn't have this without the other, you know? It's kind of the high noon diehard effect. It's like, without those, you don't have Seven Samurai or Olympus Has Fallen. You don't have this or that. You know, it's okay to be a copy of a copy or inspired by someone as long as you stand out in your own way, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see how many people uh, talk about it on just random blogs or social media accounts and say, got into this show and I can see, I can understand the hype. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah. And hopefully our, our podcast, you know, this episode will help with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and that's what I hope to do. I, I like to kind of do deep dives like this. It was like, we talk about just so much stuff is like that, the average podcast is like doing an episode by episode review. I can't do that. I got to do, oh. I got to do split it up into seasons and, or just talk about it in general is like, and say what it accomplished versus I don't understand it, but here's what I got out of it. And what I understand why certain people like or don't like about it. Yeah. <laughs> if you just perfect. do a simple outline, just like better it up, like, anything else Oops. thank you for being on the show yeah. <laughs> right absolutely <laughs> hell of a time talking <laughs> oh dude absolutely i had a bunch of fun man thank you for having me i hope we can do more episodes i want to get to do one where we talk about you know of course oz i want to talk about the wire with you sometime as well oh hell yeah <laughs> And I'm gonna, like I told you, I'm going to start City on a Hill, or City on the Hill. Is it on a hill or the hill? On a, on a hill, but okay. yeah, I mean. City on a hill, and I'm going to start that, and I'm going to start Homicide soon. Oh, man. We, we already did a pretty big Homicide Wire episode, but I mean, I could definitely get your thoughts, like, even oh, yeah. just emailed to me, just a brief, just timeline. Um, and just anything else that's like that you're just binging lately, where you're like, yeah, this is a very organized sitcom, or... These are, this is a very underrated trilogy of movies. It's like, yeah, I'm down to do stuff like that. So, yeah, just hit me up later. And we'll... <laughs> Sounds good, man. Well, thank you for having me. You have a good night, man. Absolutely. Thank you for being on here. <laughs> sure. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life. Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation. We have Italian horror. We have zombies. We have slashers. We have crime films. We have spaghetti westerns. We even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts... Lee Russell, Daniel Harper... Paul Romali and the odd guest host cure what ails you. Warning may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening.
Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games, mm-hmm. music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes. the Google Play, yes. Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah, we gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah, 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 good fun stuff. Well. <laughs> you yeah. <laughs> don't, don't run the listeners away Pete. Ah, i'm sorry but this is going kind of long yes so we'll end this and say hey check out the home video hustle every friday on all the various podcast outlets peace peace as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a gangster And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. 
Every week I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time, let's check our cue, baby Pair it with a couple brews, baby We love your movies We love the bad ones, too So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you Oh, yeah Everything I learned from movies Helps to make life a little bit groovy With a one-life plot holes and gratuitous boobies It's time to get busy With your friend Steve and Izzy at eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She? will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author Wendy Heller and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. 
So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant. Two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at VD Clinic Pod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Hi there. It's Heather from the Watching Netflix Without You podcast. Did you know that there are over 1,200 Netflix original feature films and documentaries? And that number is only growing. So I've made it my mission to watch as many as I possibly can. Then, with a delightful guest or guests, disclaimer, more often than not my brother, Ryan, we spend an episode rating, reviewing, and discussing a film at length. The first half of every episode is spoiler-free for those who haven't seen it yet, and in the second half, after a very clear spoiler warning, we dive into it. And that's really about it. You can listen to Watching Netflix Without You on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more.
continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked